This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of Isellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake, or check out their website at isellers.ca. Find out how you can support us, like Adnan, by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hey, Michael. Andre! Uh, you, gotta, you gotta get that mic close to your face. Can get a, I'm gonna get I'm gonna stick it right in there. Yeah, perfect. Oh, man. Your levels are like way high. Oh, you didn't peak, though. Okay, oh, I gonna... peaked. It's just like maybe these wines that I have for you. So we, 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 we just finished talking about the $250 wine cellar. Yep. Uh, yep. Which there's a lot to say. I'm, 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 I'm pleased with that. I hope, I hope everyone listening to that enjoyed that. And, uh, yeah, two different philosophies, obviously. So we haven't heard about our $250 uh, wine cellar. Um, you should go in and, and listen to it because two alternate philosophies, although adjoining philosophies in some way. Our, our philosophies are a, a, a solid Venn diagram, but, I mean, the bottom line is when you're building a wine cellar, build in, uh, build in bulk. So be ready to buy more than one of the same wine to build your, build your collection. Cool. So... Uh, I, Knowing that we had this podcast about the uh, the the wine cellar, I brought along some interesting, uh, uh, some crazy wines actually from my cellar okay. uh, because they were sitting side by side. Uh, one is from two thousand and five, and one is from two thousand and six, and they were the same wine. And I thought, why are they sitting side by side? Why did I have the same year sitting? But it turns out they were they were different years. So did I. Did you miscategorize one of them? No, there was just actually it's it's weird. So my wine cellar is actually uh, very very different than a lot of uh, wine cellars, as, as you mentioned. I do catalog wine cellars, and uh, most people when they do their wine cellar, they do it uh, by country. So they do. Um, you know, France over here, Italy yeah, on the yeah, other yeah. side. America is usually in the middle, and then it's coming on the peripheries. You have, you know, Australia. You have Chile. You have Argentina. Okay, You'd be surprised. good for you. You know all the countries that grow so, grapes. So uh, <laughs> myself, I do mine by year, so that when you you and I get together for a stump the chump, I know where I can go in the cellar to get some of the oldest stuff. I don't have to go, you know, searching, hunting, and pecking for you know ninety eights uh, for two thousand and ones. Uh, I know exactly where they are in the cellar. So mine's hey, done I, by can you. Can I interject just quickly with, um, you've seen High Fidelity, right? Uh, yeah, a lot of years ago. I, like, I love just the, how John Cusack keeps reorganizing his record collection with like different philosophies of mine, alphabetically or chronologically. Yeah. Um, my wine cellar is arranged autobiographically. I have no real organization. I have my vertical side-by-side. I'm big on collecting verticals of the same wines but there is no other way to organize my wine cellar no well we got to fix that for one day for you no i'm when you get enough you're gonna have to worry about that when do you have enough 2300 okay we get it you have more wine than me (laughs) but look so i do it by year and it just so happened that these two it intersected when i when i had moved them around because every so often i have to you know every six months to a year i have to move them again because and that's and that's that's the, that's the good part and the bad part of my cellar, is that because I have to move them, I get to see. Oh wow, I should be drinking that sometime soon, um, to make room for the newer newer vintages. But these just happen to intersect where 2005 and 2006 split, and they looked they came up side well basically 
top to bottom. And I was like, well, oh, neat. So what they are is they are a Montgras Reserva Cabernet Sauvignon 2005 and 2006 from Chile. We had both talked about So you brought Reserva. You couldn't even spring for the Grand Reserva? Nope. These are the Reservas. So the reason uh, that I would have bought these wines is because at the time they were probably about 14 bucks. Uh, they were actually cheaper than that. Uh, why do you have a? Does it say eleven sixty five? Look at oh, look at me. So <laughs> so for twelve dollars is what you got here. Uh, so let's see if again we're having one of these podcasts where we determine whether twelve dollar bottles of wine age. So I always like these podcasts. I have to be honest uh, because I get to crack things in my wine cellar. You can see, look at that. It looks like paint. So what I love about Screw Cap, and I don't get to say this very often, is that when you when you open an old bottle of uh, Screw Cap wine, first of all, the inside liner looks so the like color. it looks, is it looks totally, like the bottom of a cork. Yeah, but it's actually now if you put your finger through it, it'd be like paint. Yeah, yep, yep, so, yep. which is really neat. Oh, this one's actually dry, uh, but you can see all the sediment and goo in there as well so it doesn't get adhered to, to the you cork. know i i really don't like like the use of the word goo when we're talking about something we're about to drink would you like moist a lot of people don't like the word moist i'm okay the word moist. moist i'd like moist. moist good band too good good canadian band i didn't realize you were a uh i knew you were a, uh, a music geek yes I didn't realize you were as big a music geek as you were oh um, i am an, an aficionado of like that great era of canadian radio rock from the 90s well i'm a, i'm a, a, an ex-jock uh in radio and yeah. um uh, we got into a large conversation about about well music. because the thing is you you got into your like your college like the full-fledged college was, which was really the dawn of like you know the post like grunge has come and gone and that's kind of when that sort of harder rock sound became mainstream so bands like the headstones and moist came out mm-hmm. and i got into music right when moist was already like front and center and for me it's more about like matthew goodband and sloan yeah and some of those on the bands. tail end of yeah. where i was so but like that whole 1990s decade was such a good time for canadian rock music and if anybody doesn't know there's a there's a great uh, saints and sinners uh tour of four of the uh, four bands i can't remember all four of them um headstones moist yeah uh, uh yeah so there's four bands that come into art park uh in july and it's just before i4c so what a what a great time to go see uh some canadian rock uh, <laughs> in buffalo <laughs> in buffalo go see canadian rock in buffalo it's amazing the big wreck and the tea party oh, i'm not uh, so hot on the tea party no, but i've heard from so many people that the tea party is apparently amazing live uh, yeah, very doors ish. I remember I, I had a buddy who, uh, his, I think it was his cousin was, it was, or is the lead singer of the tea party. I didn't even know the tea party still was around. So, so I've opened the 2005. This, really this is really great. 2000, this, 2005. 2005. Yeah. Uh, Montgras Reserva, uh, under screw cap. Uh, it's got a lot of black licorice, like dried black currant. That's outstanding. It's still juicy on the mid palate. That's a, now this is. This is Chilean cabinet. There's a, there's a, Dude, just you can get incident. 24 bottles of this to start a wine cellar Correct. at the 11, 1165 when it, when it originally came out. I'm sure now it's almost 20, but uh, when I picked this up uh, 14 years ago or more, uh, that's a that's a juicy bottle of wine. It's very juicy. I'm very happy about that. Holy God. I can only I can only hope that the 06 is as good. I'm so, a- I guess, before we get to opening the, uh, the 06... Another thing we touched on the last podcast was that you didn't realize how big of a geek I am 
when we were talking about the premiere of Picard. Yeah, we. we I've been a little. About, I've been a little obsessive about this. Well, I started. I started seeing it, and uh, then I just brought it up to you. I said, "Hey, did you know?" And you almost <laughs> shat yourself because uh, you almost pulled a William Shatner. Yeah. Uh, when when I. Uh, I told you because you were like, I know. I, where have you been? So uh, it's like you were at Comic Con uh, to see it yeah. uh, or something. And <laughs> well, uh, I've been waiting. I'm waiting a while and, for this. And then suddenly you were over at my house showing me little little short treks and telling me some back uh, stories and like you were just totally geeking out in a way totally. that kind of scared me. Like I was like. You know, I, I I held up the sign of the cross and backed away from you and hung garlic around my neck trying to figure out. But the out. one thing I really geeked out about was the wine content in Picard. Yes. And then you watched it and you were just like, well, it plays such a little part. And I was just like, what? Yeah, you wanted to get, you know, deep into the philosophy. Uh, and my wife was like, uh, you can tell this is the future because they have sprayers that hover above the vineyard. And this, yeah. that was all that she noticed that was, was any different. But, but to me, it's just, it's just so many things wrong with it. So the show opens with Captain Picard in his family's vineyard, supposed to be in Burgundy. And granted, this is a few hundred years in the future. He's still he's using a, a fishbowl Burgundy glass. You would have thought that the glass which would I have gone was, a little bit. Which I thought was I, I I was I'm glad that you noticed that. I was just I was like Captain Picard's been listening to uh, two guys talking wine. Of course, past, totally. Patrick Stewart is definitely our biggest fan. Uh, uh, but but it was but, a fishbowl glass, and I was surprised by that. But he's drinking Pinot. It's supposed to be Pinot. Correct. Or we assume it's Pinot. The thing is, that drives me nuts about the show is they never even just get give us like two sentences about what the wine is there. Do you know what it probably is at that point? Because it's 20, 23, 26 or whatever it is. And and we've completely borked the planet by that point. Yeah. So it's probably Marquette. <laughs> so, so, so who's kidding anyway? That's probably exactly well. The, the vineyards, the vineyards that they've used uh, are in California, and I believe this is Zinfandel Vineyard that he's in. And if you, you're on TV and you see this, if you're a fan of Burgundy, like you kind of scratch your head a little bit because the vine spacing looks like it's three meters between rows, and like at least two meters between vines. So it's a very loosely planted vineyard. It's a spacious. Vineyard. It's a spacious vineyard. And, you know, you talk to producers in Burgundy, you see these robots just spraying crap all over, and it's just, like, there's lots of robots spraying, and it's just like, you, you think about about winemakers and, and, and vineyard managers now, they don't like to spray liberally. You see, you were you put, putting way, maybe you're just spraying a little bit of water, just a little mist, because there is no rain anymore. There is no more rain. No, there's rain in the future. There's definitely rain. Well, in the, the whole planet's under a dome, right? So there is no rain. The planet's not under a dome because it's because we've screwed up. How the much ozone did you pay layer. attention to that? No, this is this is after and they've then, started to fix stuff and again. Then, and then when they Jesus, and, and then when they launch ships, they have to open the little dome up and let them out. That's not how it works. It's just not like have I mixed a Battlestar Galactica or something? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the whole thing—the whole thing about the wine is kind of cool because they have put a little bit of effort into brand partnerships. There is a Chateau Picard. And Chateau Picard is located in Bordeaux. Bordeaux yeah. It's not in Burgundy. And then, uh, like the the people who own the intellectual property of Star Trek have partnered with a Californian winery, and you can buy Chateau Picard, which is uh, Californian wine, and get like a Starfleet bottle as well. That's Zinfandel. And I'll have be you honest, ordered this? I didn't pay too much attention to it because it was way too expensive. It's for already what it sold was. out to it. No, probably. So I, I think it just sort of begs the question is, is like if you're watching Picard, what is the wine that is kind of true to the uh, the canon of the story? So 
I chose Burgundy. Well, there's there's also uh, there's an article out there that I uh, that I read about how wine, through even the next generation, has played a part in the next because every so every so often it kind of appears like once every season a bottle of Chateau Picard actually appeared on the Enterprise. Well, the wine lore has been fantastic. Like, at the beginning of Star Trek Generations, it's a bottle of Dom Perignon that... The, the opening shot of the movie is a bottle of Dom Perignon from, like, the year 2300 flying through outer space that christens the hull of the USS Enterprise B. So there you go. See? so And, and, and another interesting fact is that his winery is called Chateau Picard in Burgundy when the wineries in Burgundy are domain. domains. Yeah. And also another interesting thing is the Chateau Picard wine, as shown on the show, come in Bordeaux bottles instead of Burgundy bottles, which was very odd. That that was. So again, I have so many. I have so many questions. I have so many questions, and I don't think any of them will be answered because now, after the first episode of Picard, it looks like they're going to be flying through outer space pretty quick. Space. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I told you it's a very small role because at one point you were like, "Oh, we got to really pay attention because that's going to what we just got like we got like eight minutes talking about that." But it's, it was all me just talking at you because I'm such a what were we calling us you're, garden variety nerd you're a garden variety geek a wine nerd and a garden variety nerd so uh speaking about nerds uh, we're now going to open the Ooh, this is better the 06 which is uh where uh, the uh, the 05 i thought was very red fruitish this i find is... this way more red fruitish i thought the 05 had like a black licorice and kind of charred note but the fruit really soared through on the palate i thought, I thought it was really juicy and i find this one a little bit more this is a little darker yeah but it's like plush Oh man! Oh, but the the palate actually tastes older than the O five. It does. It's um, it's it's still juicy, but it's it's just starting to show its age. Oh yeah. my god! I'm glad that you bought these. A little mocha uh, uh, in there too. That's nice. So I was very happy to find these on the on the cellar. So, so uh, and this was the heyday for me. Uh, Chile was uh, was was a first love as far as as wine goes. I know yours was probably Ontario. Ontario was, but. You know, coming to Chile, like even when we talked about the wine cellar, it's it's a good place to go when you want value. I think the problem facing Chile right now is a lot of the wineries that are hitting that twenty dollar mark for the vintages and vintages essentials are. I think they're starting to lack a bit of soul. It's a lot of really large wineries producing these wines on a very very large scale. So I, I think we had we had touched very briefly upon it in the in the. Uh, seller podcast yeah where um you know I, I believe there is is growing pains uh for for wine regions and i think chile may be going through that because i used to I be excited so excited with a lot of chilean wine and now i'm finding as you said there's just seems to be a lot but of it, homogeneous it's, wines. it's how the market it's how the market adjusts right i mean you take a look at kind of the rise of mcdonald's is you know, you've created a brand that's homogenous and it's sort of like the the power of the brand. And, and, you know, we can joke about McDonald's being crap food, but when push comes to shove, it's a decent quality burger at a very fair price that tastes the same anywhere on the planet. When you need a safe, a safe meal, you can look for the Golden Arches. And, and look, you probably... At least once a year, crave a Big Mac or or Mcnuggets or something like like that's. I'm not. This is not a commercial for McDonald's. No, no, but but I mean the idea the, the idea of, of okay creating a global brand and creating a global brand with some consistency was considered something to be proud of. And now we're at the point where the ability to produce products on an artisanal scale, like just thanks to 
you know, access to technology and how much more affordable it is. Like, I mean, even look at this podcast, for example, 10 to 20 years ago, there's no way we could produce an audio recording of this quality with what amounts to $500 worth of equipment. At Newstalk 1010, Bell Media, where I work, the studio I operate from has half a million dollars worth of equipment in it. Um, it's just the idea that... And a cart machine. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to get that no, joke, that sorry. comment. But I mean, the whole idea is that we're now at the point where you can produce much higher quality products on a smaller scale that delivers that unique experience. And I think what we're having with Chile is like you've hit that pinnacle of creating a mass produced product at a very high quality. And I'm not taking away no, from, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking away from, from, from Montgras or from people like, like Aurelio no, Montes, but these wines, these wines are a little predictable. Well, I think, okay, so let's, let's start here. So Montes is a large company, but they do have like, um, uh, like Purple Angel and things like that. Yes, which are very and Montes special. Is, and Montes is in their Outer Limit series. And Montes is doing a good job kind of, trying to Montgrass adjust. is the same kind of thing, although they don't always put it on the Montgrass label. There's yeah. Antu and things like that. There are other ones that are larger companies that are making a lot of homogeneous wines. So the, the thing that was run, and this is just a philosophy that's running through the transoms of my mind. What as we transoms mean? You can't make just, up words. No, no, it's just like the little things that are uh, uh, just hanging above, just hanging around. So is that I think Chile is kind of where Australia was a few years back. Um, and and I'm, I'm getting back into Australian wine because I'm now starting to see differences. I'm now starting to see unique wines coming out of Australia as opposed to just the same you know what? I can old also make an sweet Shiraz. If you want to see like the value in having a good wine agent, um, it's agents that are putting Australian wines in front of me uh, that are having me rediscover it because as someone who is getting into wine and when I got into wine like when I moved to Ontario in 2007 that was the moment when I started getting more serious about what I was drinking I knew right away that Australian wine at that time wasn't for me and it's taken me over a decade to come back to it and it's been thanks to people like family wine merchants and Clonakilla, uh, Clonakilla, who, who, who friends friend of the podcast, who have been on at least two three times. He's got to be coming and, back anytime soon. And, and we and we've got to give some credit to the LCBO as well for bringing in better quality Australian wines, especially over the past couple of years. It's been a lot easier to have nice things to say. Uh, don't tell Gary. Um, don't tell Gary was a fun little wine. I can't remember. The, I can't remember the name of the wine. I feel really awful. Um, it's so uh, good. The one with the monkey gl- on it. Glampian, Glampian, Grampian, 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 Glampian. Was that the one with the monkey on it? Oh, sorry. I, I was going with who made uh, Don't Tell Gary. Okay. Uh, I think it's Grampian is, makes that. The monkey was, it's like say no evil, hear no evil. Isn't that the one you're talking about? No, no, no. It was a monkey wearing a crown. Oh, yeah. See, that's just, that's the thing you remember, right? Now you'll walk through the store looking for the monkey with a crown on it, and you can't remember the name of the of the winery, which is pretty sad to to really think about. But anyway, I'm I'm just saying that Australia is starting to come back. Yes, it is. And hopefully the sales reflect it because uh, Canadian sales of Aussie wine have been and the, and the not weir- great. The weird, the weird thing about Australia is that they did have, from when I visited them two years ago, they said to me that we did have a plan, which was to hit the market hard with Shiraz. And then after it, after it took, after it got its hooks in, what they were going to do was then start showing regionality, and the 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 big producers were so thrilled with how Shiraz 
took that they didn't want to get out of or get off the Shiraz bandwagon to show regionality. Um, now I think they've realized that it is time to start uh, focusing on regionality and 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 other great varieties. So you see some great cabs, you see some great GSMs, you see some great Riesling. Uh, Riesling. Riesling. I know. I, I, I'm, I not, like... I'm not. I'm still not a big fan of of Australian Chardonnay. I don't. I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't really sing to me in any way, shape, or form. But the the reds just continue to get better and better, and you can actually tell the I, difference between something from Barossa, McLaren okay. Vale, Victoria. Hang on. Hang on. Can we hold the presses? Sure. I agree with you on Australian Chardonnay. So, oh, really? Wow. Holy. So, Whoa. it has nothing to do with what's on the label, label, label. I actually do discriminate a little bit. Yeah. So, if it says Australia on the label, then Andre's out. <laughs> but but if, it says, if it says Burgundy, Ontario, California, you know, any other country, he's all over it. If Germany started making a lot of Chardonnay, you'd be all over that. Which, oh, that's... Which makes me, which makes me wonder why Germany. I can't even come back from that. That's a solid burn. Why, why Germany doesn't make uh, Chardonnay, or do we see? Any? I've never seen a German Chardonnay, or that many, if if they're making. And you would think if they're making Pinot as well as they are, uh, why would they not be making Chardonnay? Would somebody from the German uh, wine board tell me how much Chardonnay is being grown or made in? Um, you know, it's, in Michael, Germany? it's called it's called Google. No, no, I want somebody to get in touch with us from the German wine marketing board. If there is something like that, there's got to be. There's just got to be. I'm still trying to find this this monkey wine. I mean, all right, you got to drop the monkey wine. You'll come up with it some point point in time. Uh, But I just feel three podcasts down the road. It's like waking up in the middle of the night going, Sheila, because you were trying to remember that that girl's name that you you ran into in the corner one day, and your wife's like, "Who are you talking about?" He goes, "You know, you know the girl with the hat, with the hat and and the sweater." I'm I'm disappointed. Oh. Michael, why do you? you I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you. Does that go into the swear jar? Get your nose out of the phone. And I thought if I shocked you, which still hasn't worked, you're still face deep. There's nothing you can say that shocks me. Thank you for bringing these cab stoves. Uh, I think we had some interesting conversation Um, up until that point. We're really enjoying Picard. I know, I know Paul Dearborn, who listens to the podcast, him and I had a, a lengthy discussion on Facebook, which actually was part of the inspiration of bringing up Picard on this. Oh, jumping. But yeah, so uh, thanks to Monkgrass for making these wines, 2005, 2006, Cabernet Sauvignon Reserva from Chile. I'm still a big fan of Montgrass wines, um, and to this day, they make some great, Antu Syrah is something they come out with. Uh, we don't see a lot of the other stuff that, that they, they, they make, sadly, but when they come to town, they really bring some interesting stuff. So check out Patreon. There's a segue and a half. Wow, look at you. You're able to just kind of stick it right in there. Check out Patreon. Look for two guys talking wine. That's how we keep the lights on and pay for the hosting of the podcast. So, uh, you know, we appreciate any consideration for that. Because otherwise, uh, Andre's Google machine turns the lights down. Uh, I'm Andre Pru from AndreRineReview.ca. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow me on social media at AndreRineReview. Say goodnight, Michael. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. You can follow me on The Grape Guy on some things, Michael Pincus Wine Review on other things. I'm, believe it or not, all over the place. And I guess, again, goodnight, Michael. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.